Hello and welcome to Two Tacos High, a handbell podcast. I'm Nick Hansen. And I'm Brian Seaman. Two Tacos High, we talk about all things handbells, current and upcoming handbells happenings, interviews, guests, and other surprises. Today is an awesome interview with several guests. We are excited to have our next handbell hangout. And today we're going to focus on composers. And so we are excited to welcome on today Sandra Ethan. Mike Joy and Jason Krug. Welcome all. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. Hi. Uh, so if you want to go and tell us a little bit about who you are, I think obviously being composers and having names printed on a lot of music, a lot of people think they know who you are or recognize your names. But tell us a little bit about who you are and your involvement in handbells. Hi, I'm Sandy Ethan. I started handbell my handbell experience in about 1993, the church job I was just hired at had handbells and I had never done handbells before at that time. I had graduated from college with a music ed degree and I went to one workshop in Wisconsin under the leadership of Bill Alexander from Strike Point in Duluth. And after that, I knew I had to do this for the rest of my life. It was the most fun musical thing I ever did. And it just went from there. We had a three octave group at the church. It blossomed into a five octave group. I started teaching at Silver Lake College and did a bell group there. And I have loved every moment of my years in handbells. It's been great fun. Shall I go next? Go for it. All right. I have been the music director for the traditional worship service at a Presbyterian Church in Ambler, Pennsylvania. And who are you? Pardon? Oh, I'm Mike Joy. Sorry. Just so you don't think I'm Jason Krug. I I do not have an uh, Indianapolis accent. So... I have been the same, the choir director at the same church for 48 and a half years. After I'd been there for three years, somebody came to me and said, we have a memorial gift and the family would like to see it used for handbells. They said, we used to go to a church in California and we really liked the handbells there and thought maybe that'd be a good way to use the gift. I said, sure. How hard can that be? (laughs) We all know the answer to that one. So I started the handbell program at the church in 1978. From 1983 to 1997, I taught at St. Peter's School in Philadelphia. I was the only music teacher pre-K to 8, and part of what we did was handbells uh, in what they called the upper school, which for that school was 5th through 8th grade. In 1998, I went to the Shipley School in uh, Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Actually, handbells was one of the things that got me that job because the head of the school said, I know your reputation for handbells. If I give you $10,000, can you start a handbell program (laughs) and have it? This was the end of July, by the way, and have it in place by September. And I said, watch me. (laughs) And I did. Uh, In the 21 years I was there, we had five octaves of bells, five octaves of chimes, an extra uh, set of the three middle octaves. And I uh, had handbells in both the middle and upper school. I retired from there in ni- 2019, but I'm still at the church. And Jason. I'm Jason Krug. Um, I got into handbells. It's kind of my wife's fault. We got mm-hmm. married in 2000 and we attended the church that she was a uh, fourth generation at. We joined the uh, vocal choir, and a year later, the director of the handbell choir came up and said, so you're both musicians. Why don't you ring handbells for me? So um, we did. We uh, rang. I was F and G5 for many years. She was A and B5. The director is actually the person who ultimately sold us the house I'm talking to you from, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. And so we rang for a good five or six years before the director said, I've done this for 20 years. I'm stepping down. Do you want to do it? So took over directing that handbell group and did that clear up until I left that church at the end of 2013. Since then, I basically get my handbell fixed by composing um, and going around and leading workshops and festivals. Excellent. I'm kind of curious about, I mean, as, as music folk in, in college, et cetera, you had to compose as just assignments and all that, but when did it become a true kind of passion for each of you? I think for me in the late nineties, we didn't have a huge budget to buy music. And I was a mom with four really little kids. 
toddlers and I needed something to do at home that wasn't Barney the Purple Dinosaur or Sesame <laughs> Street. And so <laughs> I thought I am going to start writing some music for my church group. And I never put my name on the on the music when I printed it, because let's face it, when you have like high school kids, they're really not looking at who wrote this music or whatever. And if it didn't have my name on, I thought I was getting honest feedback. So I started doing that and I I did get a really good feedback from the group and from the congregation. And so I thought this was pre sending PDFs to an editor. This was print it off and stuff it in a manila envelope and send it off to a publishing house somewhere and wait six months to possibly hear back. And when I got my first acceptance in the late 90s, that it was just so exciting. And that was around the same time that Arnold Sherman was starting to do composition classes in Mequon, Wisconsin at Concordia University. And so I signed up for some of those summer classes to work with Arnold and John Banke and Kay Cook and Bill Payne and those people. And that's where I met Mike. And and I went from there with the passion and just it evolved after that. So what was that first published piece, Sandy? Oh, my goodness. I think it was called Moment Meditation with Jeffers was my first piece in the late 90s. Hmm. And yeah, it was a while before we, you know, we got to the point where you could just electronically send scores to editors. And I remember sending tons of manila envelopes out in the mail for quite a while during the 90s and the early 2000s. So I guess I'll go next. Um, wait, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> question was, when did you start composing? Ah, uh, well, uh, here's a sad story with a happier ending. I graduated from college with a uh, degree in theory and composition, and I didn't do anything with it till mm, the late 90s. Um, well, I did when I was at my first school. I did arrange uh, a few things for the Christmas program, but it was uh, two or three octaves, and it was stuff that had to be memorized. So it was pretty simple. Um, at some point, I said, you know what? I think I could write for handbells. Like Sandy, I had heard about uh, Arnold Sherman teaching composition at Concordia University in Mequon, Wisconsin. And that's where I met Sandy and Arnold. And uh, in my second year there, I also met this very quiet guy uh, named Nick Hansen. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's how I met Nick. That's how I met Sandy. That's how I met Linda Lamb and Judy Phillips. And, and Emily Lee was there. Yes, um, she was. Part oh, of the time yeah, the we were second year well. Arnold. In Arnold's class, there were only three of us, and two of us were Emily Lee and me. We bonded big time that year. <laughs> so my first published piece was Takata Ritmika. Some of you have heard of that. As the kids these um, days say, that's a banger. I just came out yeah, with it, right? <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to start, you might as well start with a bang, right? Um, at around the same time, Fanfare of Triumph was accepted for publication. And shortly thereafter, Dorian Dance. So that's how I started. For me, I actually started really kind of composing back in, I think it was middle school. I uh, My parents had a turntable and um, they, had the, uh, they had the LP of the Star Wars soundtrack. So I would play that over and over and I just fell in love with it. And it's like, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. So um Going through middle school on in, on into high school, I wrote you know some rather juvenile pieces for piano. In high school, I wrote some pieces for the uh, our string orchestra. Uh, one summer, our orchestra director had a uh, CD. It was a Cincinnati pop CD of Western themes, and he absolutely loved this theme from the movie The Big Country. And he couldn't find the music anywhere. And I said, "Well, I can try to write it." So I spent the entire summer with a cassette tape going back over and over and over and transcribing this Western theme. And lo and behold, he loved it. We played it. I didn't know what I was doing. My uh, girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife in the other room and will be hearing this when it comes out, was really upset that I kind of treated the third trumpet part, which was her, as an extra French horn. <laughs> um, it's and actually, um, the whole reason that she and I are together is um, because I wrote a song for her back, you know, because I was young and stupid in high school. Now I'm just old and stupid. 
and wrote a song for her. And that's kind of what started our relationship going. Composed all through college, um, got a degree in composition, didn't do a whole lot with it until uh, we joined the uh, handbell choir at church. And after about a year, the director said, so I understand you're a composer. Have you ever thought about writing for handbells? It had never occurred to me that this was actually an instrument that people wrote music for, even though I had been playing this music for a year. So I wrote some truly, truly abysmal pieces <laughs> and finally did a five octave setting of the French carol Elaine. Then one summer, my wife said, OK, you've been writing some music for a while. You're going to submit it this summer. And I had been married long enough to know that the answer was yes, dear, mm -hmm. <laughs> and sent several different pieces off. And lo and behold, got a letter back because, yes, Sandy, that even at that point for me, it was stick it in an envelope and hope it gets yeah. where it's going. Um, I got an actual printed letter in the mail back from Bill Griffin at Beckenhorst saying, we would love to publish your ill nay, but can you make it for three to five octaves? And that's when I learned that if you're writing music for handbells, you want to start with the small octave and add the octaves on, not write for bigger and hope it works for smaller. That's right. Because, uh, Mike, you, back when you started submitting, you had to send that by Pony Express, right? <laughs> yeah, it was on clay tablets, too, Brian. <laughs> Is that why it takes you so long to compose? Is that the reason? Did <laughs> <laughs> get the chisel out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be this kind, and I've been very nice. This actually does lead to a next question. I was, I'm curious about your process. So, uh, like, do do ideas and things come rather quickly to you? Do you take time to to, pun intended, hammer things out? Like, what 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 is the approach for for each of you? I'm going to say more or not because you don't okay. really want to know. <laughs> Should I go? I guess I I have a really difficult time separating imagery from the writing. So if I'm going to do something that's a hymn arrangement, I like to really look at the text and get into the imagery of it. But I have a storage bank in my notation program of all different kernels of ideas that I get all throughout the day, sweeping my kitchen floor, driving to the bank, what, whatever I'm mundane task I'm doing. I write a lot of things down in Solfege if I'm not in front of a computer. And I just keep ideas. I have an idea bank in my computer for some little connective tissue in a song, some introductory material, something that just sounds like an interesting little lick on mallets or something. And then I just find a place for it later. Or, or if I'm given a new commission or a new assignment, I'll, I'll just peruse that, that little idea bank once in a while and think, oh, that might go with that title or that might go with that title or that would be really good. And yeah, sometimes entire songs can just fall out of you. I'm sure Jason and Mike and Brian and Nick, you as writers as well. It, it just you're like, where did that come from? The, I just wrote the whole thing while I was vacuuming the living room floor or something. Or you do have to pound it out because it's coming a little harder. It's just not one of the hardest things I ever worked on was the flower duet for Janet Van Bailey for Kalamazoo Ringers, that nearly made my cerebral cortex fall out and hit the ground <laughs> because that's an established work and it's an established big work. Mm -hmm. And I thought it's not a transcription, but I have to make this work for bells so that people will want to ring it and they'll want to listen to it. And it's not just a transcription. So that that piece I really hammered out and um, it took me a little longer than what I was used to. But but yeah, I've had the experience where it just it comes really easy or I'm going to be working on this one for a while. So, Jason, will you go next, please? <laughs> yeah, I'll go next for you, Mike. Um, I'm not really 100 percent sure what my process is. It kind of varies from piece to piece for the most part. It kind of involves me just sitting down here at the keyboard and just kind of playing around with ideas. If I've got. If I'm doing a hymn arrangement, you know, I know what the melody is going to be. And so the first thing I try to start doing is what can I do to the harmony to change it? One of the biggest influences on me was Mannheim Steamroller and their Christmas albums and mm -hmm. just how they would take these old, almost done to death Christmas carols and just inject this vitality and this exciting and interesting quality to them. And so that's I always try to do that in my pieces, especially my arrangements, because I figure there are 5000 settings of this hymn out there already. Mine mm -hmm. needs to say something different. So I 
usually have a melody at that point. And so it's a matter of what can I do with the accompaniment, with the rhythm, with the harmony to make it something different and exciting. Um, and so at that point, it's just a lot of play around and see what works. Um, for like an original piece, it's very much, I just sort of sit around and noodle on the piano until I kind of get a little thread of what could maybe be a piece. And I start to explore it a little bit. And, you know, when I do work, I try to get something down very quickly and not necessarily worry about if it's right or if it's good or if I've got my C5 and below in the bass clef and D5 and above in the treble, you know, Mike will be the first one to tell you I'm a, I'm, I'm a sort of a broad strokes type of guy. I try to get <laughs> yeah. something down very, very quickly because I know then I can always go back and fix it. Whereas if I sit and take forever just trying to put something down, then the whole process is just going to grind to a halt. Or Jason, do you just feel like you might forget it? Like I'll noodle around on the piano and I'll be like, ooh. I like that. I better write that down right now, because if the phone rings or I go do something else, I will forget what I just what I just heard in my head or what I just noodled around on. I, I like that process, too. Yeah, abs absolutely. I don't get as many ideas as it sounds like you do like that. But there was one. This was back about 10, 15 years ago. I was actually working during the days from like 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. in the media center at an elementary school about a half hour away from home. And about three minutes before I had to leave, I got this idea for a melody in my head and I had no way to write it down, no time. So I sang those eight bars in my head over and over for a half hour solid on the drive out to school just until I could get in and throw mm -hmm. something down on a piece of paper. So, yep. yeah, I yeah. mean, there's there's always that fear if I yeah, don't pre -cell put this down. Phones. Pre-cell yeah. phones, when we had the little cassette um, uh, telephone recorders at home, I called mm -hmm. my house once and I sang from my mother's <laughs> house and I sang into the re the recording machine of uh, an idea for a song I had so that I wouldn't forget it. And then when I got home, it was on the little cassette when I in my answering machine. Wow, you guys are much more organized than I am. Uh, <laughs> I was a piano major in college, so I like to doodle. And I like Sandy. I have... Uh, huge, not huge, but pretty big uh, notebook on my computer of sketches, this, that, this, something else. I, in 2000, I went to the National Seminar in Dayton, Ohio, and the final concert was Strike Point, uh, by, conducted by Bill Alexander. I left that conference just dumbfounded. I had no idea that a bell choir could be that good, that they could play music that complicated. I went home and the music just flowed out of me. And I said, I really like this. I think it would make a good middle of a piece. And it sat in my notebook for 10 years. Uh, 10 years later, oh, I told the story wrong. Okay. The middle section was written before. After I came back from Dayton, I wrote what were the outer sections of Takata Reach Me mm. And so that's you know, there's a 10, a 10 year gap in between. Um, I unfortunately have this perfectionist streak and I take so much time agonizing over every single note and every single rhythm. Mm -hmm. Here's a fun story. There's a person who's one of the hosts of the podcast who asked Jason. I was waiting when this was going to come up. <laughs> Yeah, it mean. well, it has to. It? <laughs> it has to. Uh, Brian had asked if uh, Jason and I would collaborate on a piece for two advanced choirs. It was uh, ba Back Bay Ringers with Griff Gall. And was it PHE at that point? Yeah, yeah, Philadelphia yeah, Handbell Ensemble. Philadelphia Handbell Ensemble that Brian was conducting. So Jason and I started, and Jason is such a master at broad strokes. I can't do that. I wish I could. He can sketch out, I know I want to start here. I know I want to go to here. Da -da 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 -da. And every time, Every time we communicated, I would obsess over this chord or that note or whatever. And uh, at some point after several weeks, he said, you know what? I'm done. Do whatever you want to with the rest of the piece. And I I, 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 I'm more, not sure that's exactly how I phrased it. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But um, yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't really have a method. Out. What? <laughs> What did He's you say? Needles in his Mike Joydal. 
I'm sure he did at that point. We're still good friends. So that says something for our friendship. But boy, did we approach composition differently. Very differently. Brian, I don't know if this is true for you. Uh, Mike, believe it or not, I'm, I'm more along your line. Um, it, it takes me a long time to process, especially if it's something that's like the pop thing that like I've done for so long just kind of rolls off a bit just because it's, it's that routine, right? It's like, I just want to do this thing and this thing and it's the song. Um, but like Triumphant Spirit, I just had that, that opening seventh. Like that's, that and the triplet rhythm were the only things I had to go off of for that song. And yeah. believe it or not, the, the one song that my brain figured out was the Carol of the Bells was the seven eight one? Because I had written your very standard arrangement for my high school choir that year, and I'm like, all right, that's fine, it's done. And then my brain just wouldn't let it go, and it just started changing it to the seven. So those are like two examples I have, Brian. I'm not sure what what's worked for I, you. I I almost have to write all in one sitting, and so wow. the arrangements and things that I have published are ones that were done. Like one of them. I literally wrote on a flight out to Sonos so that, that five hour flight across the country. I wrote out the arrangement and get the whole piece out. And then obviously I'll do a little bit of editing afterwards. But I actually struggle if I start a piece and then leave in the middle of it. I struggle to get back into that same place where I was compositionally mm-hmm. in that first place. And so you I need tried- some toddlers, Brian. <laughs> toddlers <laughs> <Yeah>. around. Like- <laughs> Sitting underneath the piano while you're working and they're eating Cheerios out of a cup while you're eat, working on your piece. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so I have to and I'll, I'll sit and I'll work all night like I, w- I will work through the night to get the, the skeleton of the piece out mm. and then I can go back and change and edit and things like that. But mm. wow, uh, I uh, can I piggyback on a story that Sandy told um, most of the time, most the ideas come from the piano. But there was one piece. We were driving to Maine, which is our happy place. We've been there every summer for many years. You and your wife, right? That's the we. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, I think this was after the kids were gone. They weren't with us. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, we were driving through the mountains of Massachusetts on our way up. And it was so beautiful and so glorious. And this theme came to me. Mm -hmm. And I sang it over and over and over and over. I even tried to solfege it, which was a little tough, but that ended up being the main theme for Appassionata. Mm. I wrote it nice. down uh, to the best of my ability with solfege, but I just sang it over and over and over and over and over and over. And that's how that song came to me, at least the, the A section. I didn't know that. Hmm. Nice. So Sandy, was was Mitchell like the one child that was mostly under the piano the whole time or? <laughs> <laughs> well, I started directing at my church when I was 29 and I was pregnant, I think, with my fourth. And they came to church to go to some of the youth group things. But when my kids were toddlers, there were no youth groups yet. So I was the mom with the coloring books and the storybooks mm-hmm. and they would sit in the music room and I never knew Mitchell was absorbing as much as he was. All four of my children did play handbells. They all were in like high school band and they played instruments. But Mitchell was the one who kind of stuck with it after he graduated. And and who knew while well, he was, you know, setting puzzles and having a juice box that he was <laughs> listening to everything I was singing, right? Yeah, Brian. That's what Mike did when we were at Concordia. Mm. I gave him a juice box and he just. <laughs> I, was sitting, I was sitting underneath Sandy's feet at the piano. Yeah. 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 Brian, I remember for Virginia Bronze uh, re- rehearsals, Jim and I had to bring the two kids. They just hang out in the other room and yep. we'd have our rehearsal. So, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're listening. They are listening. But Mitchell was always a really good. Um, jazz sax player in high school and in college so that was something he always enjoyed enjoyed too so i do want to also jump back for a second the piece that mike joy and jason krug wrote together is called flourishes it is unpublished it is actually a really awesome piece for two advanced ensembles and they're written for two Mm -hmm. six octave ensembles that are ringing at a level four and so if you are if you have a situation where you have a double choir of capable ringers it's a really cool piece and i suggest reaching out to mike or jason because regardless of the process mm-hmm. it was a, the outcome was actually a really cool piece there's a reason it's still unpublished and why we haven't gone back to edit it any <laughs> jason's afraid <laughs> um i do have one comment though that piece was written to be antiphonal 
if you had a V where one group, because the sound goes back and forth between the two ensembles, when PHE and Back Bay played it at National Seminar in Rochester, the one choir was behind the other, and the effect was just not there. And th it was no fault of their own, because that's how they had to set up. But uh, if you're ever going to do that piece, antiphonal is best. And we did do the that. The premiere was antiphonal in a church in Boston, but conducting that was an, I felt like a bird or something. <laughs> one hand was conducting one side of the church and one hand was conducting the other. Uh, it was not an optimal situation, but it was fun. Mm. I was going to say, wasn't that also the seminar that the, the, the performance space was really not that great? The yeah, very that, was, space. that was Rochester. That was a very large yeah. exhibit hall, basically. Yep, I remember that. Okay. So I don't think it was all the, 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 the song at all or the situation. It was just. Yeah. And I was, had to stand on two chairs to conduct it. And I was worried that I was going to fall off. I remember that. Because <laughs> yeah, they couldn't <laughs> see me otherwise. And Jason, unfortunately, wasn't there. I would have made him conduct. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did I? No. Uh, did, did you? I rang, I rang in that. I Wait a minute. I think, I think, I'm like, now I remember Mike right in front of me on the chair standing up. <laughs> I think you did ring something for that. Week. Yes, I did. <laughs> I want to ask about commissions real quick. Um, all of you are, you take commissions and, and, and do lovely work with those commissions. Um, I was curious about, because this is, I think for our listeners too, they would probably want to know more about the, like the process. Like at the end of the podcast, we'll ask you for, to share contact information, that sort of thing. When you get a, a commission, like, could you describe kind of your process with that? Like, uh, um, is it a, is it a conversation obviously between the two of you to get an end result? Do they typically come at you with a, a goal in mind or is it a more organic kind of maybe not so set in stone idea yet i'm getting curious of your process yes. there yes all of the yes. above <laughs> yes to all of it yeah i put after that question like depends question marks again <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> um if you want to if there's like any examples you want to share that would be awesome i'll let you go sandy well um you're you're right nick like sometimes it'll be there's a church is celebrating an anniversary and this mm -hmm. is our favorite hymn and we want they'll be very specific and they'll say we need a level two three to five octave arrangement we have a wonderful flute player we'd like them to be and so they they know ahead of time what they want and they'll give you a level other times um people will say well we'd like an original piece to honor somebody who's either sometimes sadly passed away or just been a member of the group for a long time and is retiring. Sometimes people, as you know, Nick, they want a pop tune. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go through all of the copyright hoops and try to make all of that happen. And, and, you know, sometimes the hardest part for me is scheduling it because right now I'm, I can't even take anything else this year anymore for commissions. And people are sometimes, could you get that to us by next month? And I'm like, <laughs> actually, no, I can't. <laughs> and, and so, um, so it's all of those things. And it, it is a, and it is a conversation sometimes where I'll get a really good, where, where they'll say, well, we would like one of these three hymns. And all of a sudden, like Jason, you're tinkering around on the piano. And then one of those is just um, percolating in your brain a little bit more. And you're thinking, yeah, I'll go with this one. And you're back and forth with the people once in a while. And I think I'll go with this hymn or um, sometimes I'll be in the middle of it or almost done and they'll email me that they've changed their mind and now they would like it to be a medley. I've had that mm -hmm. happen to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so, but mostly it's a, it's a dialogue through email or a phone call and I've, I've, I've loved the process. I've not really had too many issues except turning one of them into the, into a medley in three days that they needed it for, mm -hmm. but cause they changed their mind. Mm -hmm. So but I was a good, I was a good soldier at the time. And I said, yes. So, <laughs> but yeah, all of those things. Yeah. I'm I mean, let Jason go next. <laughs> I mean, you know, my experience is very much like Sandy's. You get some people who write and say, you know, I had somebody about a month ago, write And say, so our church is celebrating their however many anniversary. And we want a piece for SATB choir and handbells. And we're going to put out a call for the church to write, you know, people from the church to put in, to write the lyrics, whatever. And, and then sometimes it'll be, oh, we want an original piece. Mm -hmm. And that's all the guidance they give you. And so you have to kind of push and pull and, you know, is this for a happy occasion? Is this, you know, is there some reason? Is there, 
you know, anything extra you want and you kind of feel your way through there. You know, sometimes it's I want an arrangement of this hymn about about the worst experience I had. Um, it was actually uh, somebody who for a while I used to give out uh, commissions for the silent auction at National mm-hmm. Seminar and somebody won it. And it took several years before they finally let me know what they want. And they said they wanted this arrangement of this hymn tune. And so I, and they wanted it for, it was an area festival for the, uh, like the advanced, their bronze group to ring. And so I, you know, got to work on it and got it done and sent it off. And, you know, that's always the worst because you send it. And then it's like, okay, now I have to wait and hear Mm -hmm. if they like it or if they don't, if there's whatever. And the email came back and said, you know, this is nice. This is really well done. This is not the right tune. Oh, because there were two <laughs> tunes that oh, had no. the exact same title. And if you would go to hymnary.org, which is my go-to mm-hmm. place that shows which mm-hmm. hymnals things are in and everything. Well, one was in three hymnals and one was in one hymnal. And I went with the three hymnal because I thought mm-hmm. odds of probability, mm-hmm. that's right. Well, they wanted the other one and they're like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to work. And I'm like, can you give me the weekend? So mm-hmm. I did like Sandy and I basically turned around and over the weekend i arranged this other yeah this other version um and they liked it they played it um and i'm pretty sure there's a chance folks will get to hear it at national seminar in hartford this summer oh great great. Mm. Mm. is the other one you you did out there did that end up getting um i haven't had time to do anything with it Mm -hmm. but it 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 I, I actually forgot that I had it until we were talking here. So I need to leave myself a note to go back and look at that one. Um, my story is much shorter. It's not a surprise to anybody who knows the handbell world that I have fewer compositions than either Sandy or Jason. And I've had a few commissions, but because I write so slowly, I haven't been able always to meet the deadlines. For those commissions and that just made me more stressed mm. and less creative so i've made the decision that i'm not doing any more commissions except for this woman up in wisconsin um, <laughs> who i promised a piece to <laughs> and there's a nice story behind that but i guess i won't tell it um so i'm just i do this for fun i do it to be mm-hmm. creative i don't want to be stressed out i don't know how people like sandy and jason do it quite frankly would you rather have a somebody come to you and say, I'm looking for this tune with this many octaves and that flute and, and have all of the specifics? Or would you rather have something completely broad of just right? Because I think all three of you have been recipients of the Allured Commission for Bayview, which at least my understanding is that they tell you, hey, we want a piece for Bayview. Go for it. Right. Well, for Bayview, because I'm a Wisconsin girl and I grew up on the Great Lakes, I just found it so easy to use the Great Lakes as my subject Mm -hmm. because on the other side of Lake Michigan from where I am is where Bayview happens. And I was so pleasantly surprised to find out that nobody had really done that, centered the Bayview piece around the water and the lakes. And that's why I did that Tales of the Great Water, because I've lived my whole life on Lake Michigan. And I have a lot of experience driving all around the Great Lakes and living in this area. So that was a lot of fun for me to use historical imagery and the imagery of the water and the power of the water and um, pioneer tales and things like that to incorporate into that piece. Yeah, I mean, for mine, for my piece for the uh, Allured Commission, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's nice when somebody says, hey, we want you to write a piece, go write what you want. I personally find it much easier when they say we want this hymn tune Mm -hmm. with this instrument for this many octaves, this level and this length of time, because those constraints make it really easy. I I kind of, you know, liken it to being like if you're stuck inside a box, you can only go so far, Mm -hmm. but you explore and see how much can I do within the confines of this box I'm in. And so when mm-hmm. they give me something like that for a commission, it's like, OK, I know exactly what I'm going to do. How much can I do within this when it's wide open? The worst part for me is figuring out how to start. Um, and with the Allured Commission, I know I played around with stuff for the longest time. I mean, my Allured Commission, I probably had more time to write it than anybody because it was originally due to the folks running the event 
in summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. And oddly enough, that didn't need to actually happen. And so I think I finally got it to them in the summer of 22. So for years, it was just sitting here on my computer. But I, I somehow got the idea of doing this sort of big flourish and then this grand pause, because I feel like in music, so much of the time, we're worried about getting the notes, getting the rhythm. And if there's a rest, I mean, especially from like my time in high school orchestra, a rest is kind of like this thing that's just there and nobody pays any attention to. And it's as much a part of the music as the notes are. So once I sort of realized that can be sort of the hook for the piece, I put in all these pauses everywhere and called the piece After Silence, based on the, uh, the Aldous Huxley quote, After Silence, that which comes closest to expressing the inexpressible is music. Um, and that's honestly probably one of the deeper meanings behind any of my pieces that I've ever written. I usually write the piece and then I'm actually at the place now where I go to chat GPT and tell it to generate 50 <laughs> titles for me. And I pick one from there to put on the piece. Nice. <laughs> Does it have the word joy in it ever? The joyfulness of joy on this joyous day? Some of them are really interesting. I do occasionally have to go back and say, okay, now give me 10 more that are not alliterative. Go back and give yeah. me 10 more that are not puns about bells, you know. <laughs> but you said the clue, Jason, on those original pieces, it's finding the hook or finding the imagery. Once I have the imagery in my head, like Mike driving through the mountains, you can you can work around creating a mood for an image. And so you're right, having the parameters for a two octave, three octave, this hymn tune, this difficulty level, that is easy. That's an easy thing to do because all you have to do then is just get really creative with the hymn tune within those parameters. But having that wide open thing, getting the hook or getting the image that you're going to build it around, that helps. That that helps anchor your brain to I'm going to go here with the mood of the piece. Mm -hmm. I have one that I just finished up for uh, Riverbend Bronze in the uh, Quad Cities area of Illinois and Iowa, Ooh. and they wanted they wanted a sort of masterwork type thing, multi-movement, 10, 15 mm. minutes long, level mm. four or five. And I started writing and I had so many, so many false starts on that until I finally hit upon, well, there's four technically five, but I pretended there were four parts of the Quad Cities and they each kind of had something they were known for. And once I got that and I could use mm. those pictures to describe, all of a sudden everything came together and they were yeah. happy with a what ended up being a five movement work instead of three movements. And so, but yeah, that getting that hook, that's if if there's no other guideline, that's that's the hardest part of it. Mm hmm. Well, I guess for once I'm on equal footing here because I did have an Ayurved commission, uh, Pavan and Gallard. Uh, again, There's I was doodling at the piano and, and I love, love, love Renaissance <laughs> music. And I like the way that dances are often paired together. Um, and so Pavan and Gallard are two dances that are often paired. The Pavan is slow and stately and I had this chord progression that I liked. Uh, and then I did what's called a rhythmic crescendo. The rhythms got more and more complex, um, each iteration of that main chord progression. And then the Gaillard um, kind of alternated between three, four, and six, eight, but I kind of went crazy and did a lot of other things like nine, eight, and seven, eight, and five, eight. Uh, but it was very dance-like, I thought. I thought it was based on some of the material from the Pavan. So I thought it made a cohesive uh, musical statement with both of those. I love that piece, Mike. I think it's beautiful. I do too. That's why I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Humble you as always. <laughs> you don't hear it very often. It's not easy, is it, Brian? No. And I was going to say, we have, when I directed Philadelphia Handbell Ensemble, had the, the, privilege of being able to test drive a lot of your pieces, Mike. I don't, was that one of them? I feel like I was still ringing in, in PHE at the time. Wasn't yeah, directing it I think when it we was. rang that for the first time. And yeah, no, it was, <laughs> it was not easy. The intro, the Pavan part, I remember, yeah, when you get into the 16ths up in the treble, you're hopping between the sevens and the sixes and an alternating yep, 16th yep, pattern. Yep, it's yep, yep. a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, some really cool rhythms. I love 
there's one section that's in nine eight but is not three groups of three you do two plus two plus two yeah 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 you're right um and that's really fun and i remember here's i'm gonna tell a little tale i remember scott i think it was scott fitzinger and jason were sitting we were reading through part of that it was in a rhythm class and I don't know who said what to whom, but somebody said, that's just 4-4 four, four with syncopation. And I said, that's not how I heard it. Uh, and, you know, we've had this discussion, Jason and I, many times. Is it syncopation or is it mixed meter? And it can be either. There's no right or wrong answer, but I just hear things differently um, from other people. And that's okay. Brian's over here is mentally figuring it out. I, it's just, yeah, I was singing the rhythm in my head while conducting four. And you're, y- yes, I can see how it could be a syncopated four, four, but n- correct. That's not ever how I thought of it either. No. Nope. And that's why there's chocolate and vanilla. I'm curious for each of you, what your favorite compositions of the other composers Ooh. on the podcast are. Nice. Ooh. Mm. Oh. You got an hour? Well, you only get one, what? maybe two. <laughs> no, not one. No, oh. I love to use Mike Joy's Clarion Call when I have to do a late beginner, early intermediate track or workshop because he has used every handbell articulation in there. But the kitchen sink, I mean, there's martellato, there's mallet, there's LV, there's I think there's echoes, there's swings, but there's also a meter change. There's a key change, and it's it's very doable. And it's right on a page turn. Mm-hmm. That's the publisher. Yeah. Blame, blame <laughs> the editor, not the well, composer. Well, I think these things happen in CD back rooms at publishing houses where they decide <laughs> where the page turns are going to be. Um, because when I was a young writer, I used to faithfully try to put the best, pay, notate it, like, here's such a good, and it would come back to me like, you know, forget about it. We just want to save paper. But page turning to me is also a skill for teaching young ringers. Like, yeah. how do you go about what's the best place to turn that page? Do I memorize early? Do I memorize late? Does my friend um, who's on my my folder partner, perhaps maybe they're not doing as much. They can turn all of those things that you teach young or beginning ringers. And so I like Clarion Call. It's a Choristers Guild um publication because it it's a, such a great teaching piece and oh my gosh my favorite jason piece it might surprise jason because you did it several years ago but i conducted it at lutheridge i don't know maybe 10 years ago and it's that am i saying the title right is it christmas fantasia yeah um it's got o come o come emmanuel it's got a couple different uh hymn tunes in it and it's not a difficult piece at all but it's just lovely it's it's just this lovely relaxing exhale of Christmas music that's just very calming and and I just think it's a beautiful a beautiful little medley. I can't remember what tunes you have in there anymore, Jason, because it's um, been a I, while. I I know I know Coventry is sort of what ties it yeah. all together. It just yeah. you get a little snippet and it leads you into the next tune, but it's it's yeah. got about five or six in there. It's Greensleeves, mm-hmm. Coventry, Carol, Elena Major, First Noel, and Silent Night. There you go. <laughs> and and, wow. it, and I think what is it? It's like a level two or two plus or something. I think it's it's a not two plus, hard. Yeah. Yeah. And but, you know, I'm still um, an advocate that not everything has to be a barn burner to be even in an advanced concert. If you finesse a lower level piece and it's beautiful and you really bring the most out of the ringers and out of the lines that can move an audience just as much as a a level five piece. And that that Christmas Fantasia, I just think is beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll go next, if I may. Anybody who knows us knows that Jason and Sandy are my two favorite people in the handbell world. Whenever I have to choose repertoire, I always try to schedule a program of Jason and a Sandy piece. So I'll go with Sandy first. Um, I'm doing uh, Snake River Festival in uh, a week, week from Friday. Yeah. And I love her arrangement of Steal Away to Jesus. Wow. I remember Tim Waugh uh, in awe over that, and I didn't know the arrangement at the time, so I went and looked at it, and I said, oh, I see what he means. The other Sandy piece, and there are many others, but the other one that always blows me away is, um, <laughs> I'm going to forget the name of it now. Oh, Praise Unfolding. It's level one, but it says so much, and I am in awe that somebody like Sandy can get so much music out of mm-hmm. so basic rhythms, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. 
That's an astounding piece. Thank you. Now, well, Jason. You know, the little history, though, Mike, I got to tell you, and I think you might know this, is because you and I come from, you know, Kodai backgrounds and things. When I had my junior high and high school group at the church, I was trying to teach augmented syncopation. Yeah. And I just really wanted them to have a substantive piece that, you know, filled the room and was a little bit different. And so that was what came out of my desire to have a piece with that element embedded in it. So mm. I think it helps to work with young and beginner ringers because then you know what they need. You know, you know, Absolutely. You know what they need. Yeah. Absolutely. Now with Jason, he has so many different styles. I probably have a favorite in each style, but <laughs> one of my favorite stories is uh, this was in Minneapolis, I think. Yeah, it was Minneapolis. <laughs> yeah, okay. This is where I met Jason Krug. <laughs> I was listening uh, to Carolyn Mathis conduct the Young Ringers, and she was doing a rehearsal of um, Compassion by Jason Krug. Mm. And I just, uh, I was in awe after the, the piece ended. She conducted it so beautifully, and they played it so well. And I said to Carolyn, who wrote this piece? I don't know him at all. And she said, oh, it's Jason Krug, and he's here. I said, I've got to meet him. So I did. I met him. And, oh, his wife, Ellen, was in a couple of my classes, and she was really good and very responsive. <laughs> and I said, oh, I like you. And I walked up <laughs> because she was always answering questions and that. And I, I walked up and looked at her uh, name tag, and I said, Ellen Krug, are you related to Jason Krug? And she said, yeah, it's my husband. <laughs> so that's Aww. how I met that's how I met the Krug. So compassion always has a really, really special place in my heart. Mm. So does if you want something rhythmic and syncopated, Allegro con moto. Mm -hmm. And um, I, we're ending the Snake River Festival with Malele. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, that's such a great piece. And I got to uh, perform it with my group from Manuscript before it was ever published. Yes, you did. Um, mm. I've always liked that piece. And there are many more from both composers, but those are the ones that stand out at the at the present time. Well, I I have to say, Mike, you sort of stole mine. Um, I mean, for Sandy, I mean, part of it is you just write so darn many good pieces that it's kind of hard to have a favorite. If I have a festival and there's a Sandy Ethan piece on there, it's like, Okay, this is going to be great. Mm -hmm. Your praise unfolding, though. I mean, I think it was Mike, actually, who turned me on to that because I needed something for a beginning event. And yeah, it's just, it just, it like he said, it says so much. I mean, it it proves something that I believe and says it better than I ever have that just because it's simple doesn't mean it has to be simplistic. And it very much is a simple piece that has that just says an awful lot. For Mike, this is not necessarily the one that gets caught in my head the most. That tends to be Yovana Yovanke. But my favorite one of yours is probably Appassionata. If if I have a chance to program something on a festival, if I'm not programming Clarion Call, I'm programming Appassionata because it is just, it just says so incredibly much. And it says it in such a heartfelt way. It's it's a piece I feel like not not as many people know about maybe as should, but it is just gorgeous. And it sounds it's one of those pieces that sounds way more complex than it actually is yes. to play. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe that sort of causes some groups to shy away from it. But it's just it's just a phenomenal piece. This kind of relates a little bit just from kind of going the theme of favorites. But is there any one like outstanding or favorite just memory from any handbell event or thing. It doesn't have to be with each other, but um, that just stands out as like, this is a really just great, perfect moment that revolves around handbells. Mm, there's so many. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. So many at the national seminars. Yes. I remember in 2001 being in Palm Springs and hearing Larry Smith's group from Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Right. And they just, and that was the year we also heard um, uh, Ring of Fire and the group from Japan, somebody help me. Um, was was um, it Kinjogakuen University? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it, I left there just feeling like, well, either I should just go get a job bagging groceries at the Piggly Wiggly, or I've got to work a little bit harder. And I've got to, because these groups were just like, they just blew the roof off the place. 
I remember the year where we maybe in Norfolk when Singing Bell was first introduced to us with Sonos. Was that Norfolk, perhaps? And some of the years when the groups from from Puerto Rico came and, you know, just some of those wonderful, amazing concerts that we are privy to at these events. It's just, you know, there's too many to even name. There's just so many. I mean, for me, I um, I think you sort of alluded to it there. The first national event I went to um, was actually a pinnacle in Nashville in 2010. That was the year after the floods where they were shuttling mm. us back and mm-hmm. forth between the hotels. Oh, right. and yes. The right. stage was set up in the marquee outside. And I still remember, because I had no idea what to expect from a national event. The opening co- night concert was Vivace from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And they opened with, I believe it was Overture to Candide. Yes. And they got yes. a standing ovation after their opening mm-hmm. number. And I... Right. And it was it was so deserved. And it's like I right. had never I had never really heard a performance on of any musical ensemble that I thought merited a standing ovation after the first number. And right. it was just it was just this is what the instrument can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, my memory is a little different. I remember the musical moment. I remember the piece. I don't remember which group played it. But it was Fred Grayman's Prelude on Herd Sleepster Yezu. Mm. When I listened to that, I went to a different plane. I that transcended notes and rhythms. It said something, it says something so very profound and moving. I felt like I'd worshipped through music. And that's mm. probably my strongest memory. And the people too, right? We get to meet all these wonderful conductors and teachers. I remember meeting Don Allured. I think it was in Orlando when we were there, when it was international one year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Martha Lynn Thompson and Valerie Stevenson and um, David Harris and just all these people from all across the country, you know, um, bringing all their skill sets to these events is just it's just so enriching for us. Yeah, I think it's a common thread on a lot of our podcasts when we have interviews on. Mm-hmm. It always comes back to the people. You're so right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which we have three of the best right here. So. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, my, my students at school have totally caught on that when I program every year, there's a Sandy Ethan piece, a Jason Kirk piece, and a Mike Joy piece. And they, they have caught on and they go, all right, what's the Mike Joy piece for this year? <laughs> and you said, I've run out of pieces. He hasn't written anything else. <laughs> Which, by the way, I have a bit of a request. Um, Sandra, could you just say hi to Tucker Robbins for me, please? Hi, Tucker Robbins. Thank you, you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since we played Tranquil Chimings when he was like in fifth or sixth Aww. grade, he's like, Cedric is the best composer ever. <laughs> and now he's playing Aww. What a Wonderful World. And, and, and like, so it's, so thank you. He will I'll, treasure I'll that. I'll be sending him some chocolate chip cookies in the mail. There you go. <laughs> I was just, yeah, it's the same. My, my beginner first level sixth grade handbell class plays Quietude every year. Mm-hmm. That is their first piece they play. So to great start piece. them off with Sandy Ethan. But. They need a genuine musical experience, don't they? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They do. And they feel successful and they feel like it's not just an exercise or it's not just a, like we're doing a pentatonic accompaniment, but we are playing right. a genuine piece of music. Right. And that's the goal. In November, I started uh, with a challenge. Uh, I was asked to do a, a chime group at a senior citizen's community. This is not a nursing home. These are people who are really with it. They have busy schedules. This facility is so programmed with all kinds of amazing events. And so all they needed to do is add another one, right? (laughs) But I have 11 people. And for the first time, we played homage to Paco Bell, which is in uh, one of the collections that Sandy and I wrote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pathways. I think it's a second volume on rhythms. It's just whole notes and half notes. But this got some musicianship, some dynamics, some crescendo, decrescendo. I uh, am going to brag a little bit about other people because I went to Sandy and Linda Lamb and Judy Phillips and said, you know what? I learned something in many years. Too many beginning pieces have quarter notes. My kids haven't mastered half notes and whole notes yet. I, I want a piece that uses only half notes and whole notes. 
and that was Tranquil Chimings that Sandy wrote. And um, Judy Phillips wrote a piece called Follow Me, which is in the GIA Foundation series. And Linda, I'm sorry, Linda, forgive me, but I couldn't remember the name of her title. But they all three did that out of the goodness of their hearts. Mm. They uh, wrote some pieces that were only whole and half. And perhaps that spurred Sandy, and I don't know, to write more pieces like that. That's well, it about, did. And, and I, yeah. there was a lot of feedback from Tranquil mm-hmm. Chimings where I, and I get it there. And there wasn't all, there were some people, purists, Orf and Kodai people. Well, we start with the beat. We always start with quarter notes. You should be. But a ringing stroke on bells sometimes is a little slower with beginners. And it's and, and yes, you can do s- slower metronome on quarter notes. I get the logic. But um, they were just such ultra beginners out there that that just wasn't going to happen. And so that was the birth of those one minus level one minus pieces. And as educators, like thank all three of you yes. for the start of the books, the collections, the, the minus ones, the foundation series, like it's fantastic. Those resources. And I'm hoping anyone out there who is still searching to fill that gap of beginner and quote unquote advanced beginner, like, these are the places to go. Yeah, I'm once again teaching a class on choosing repertoire for your classroom this coming national seminar. And Mike actually sat in on my class last year. I said, Mike, you are half of this class. This is your music <laughs> is your repertoire. But, you know, absolutely. It's, it's a great tool for, for beginners in a church setting, beginners in a school setting. We had our episode last two weeks ago on, on starting a church choir mm-hmm. for the first time. And absolutely, there's a lot of pieces that all three of you have written that are great for that we recommended both the pieces that are half notes and whole notes, great for beginning. If you've got an ensemble that's not large enough for a full ensemble, Jason, you've done a ton of that 12 mm-hmm. bell pieces <laughs> with the piano accompaniments, which are also great pieces. So all yeah, of you I are feeling I just want to reiterate needs. what Sandy said. The sooner you get real music in their hands, the happier they're going to be. These ladies today, mm-hmm. I have them on Thursday mornings and they just felt like a million dollars because they weren't playing etudes and they weren't doing road exercises anymore. They were playing real music and a chord progression that they recognized. They were very happy. Now, Mike, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second because when I pull out like etude 3A, <laughs> like in, compelling title. in the spring semester with my sixth graders, they're all like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We can play this and it sounds great. And it's all just whole note etudes. And th- this is my moment to say, get those published, please. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I well, have I them too, Nick. I have slowly, right? But they're already done, aren't they? So it's just putting well, it together. Well, about two thirds of the way done. I haven't done triple meter yet. And that's we'll lock him in a room until he gets it done. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, the handbow world would greatly appreciate that out there for those of us educators who have. As you well know, these days I give it away for free. Just tell me because it's unfinished. If it were finished, it'd be a different story. Sure. Um, But I do think Arnold Sherman uh, said a lot of amazing things to us when we were studying with him, and one of them was, "You write what you need." And I found mm. gaps. And so I wrote things to fill in those gaps. Uh, and that really paid off by the end of middle of end of sixth grade. They could read anything in level one. They could almost sight read it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I wrote what I needed. Yeah. And other yeah. those of when us you're out in there the trenches. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You spend time in the trenches with those younger students. You know what you need. And I've used your etudes, Mike, and your eighth note. All eighth notes are not created equally. Those sheets that you gave me once upon a time, right. you need to get going. Get that stuff out there. <laughs> but, you know, I hate to say this, but it's true. Now that I'm not teaching, I don't have the, the compelling need for that stuff anymore. But those of us who are still teaching do, Mike. Yes, we do. I see. Okay. <laughs> when I have the time. <laughs> that was a joke <laughs> since i'm retired no more prices right in the morning get going now. <laughs> nice sorry it's really hell's kitchen but who's counting <laughs> i told you i'm doing the snake river festival february that's um, a good event 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Sandy recommended me, and I know Jason's done it, so now it's my turn. There's six pieces. So we have Malele by Jason, Apassionata by me, Steal Away by Sandy, a piece by some unknown person called Unclouded Day. <laughs> nice, and then you. that's Brian. And Courage and Grace, which was the piece I, the commission I did for the 125th anniversary of the school, Shipley, where I taught. Mm-hmm. I say that's what happened when Apashinata and Clarion Call went out on a blind date and had a kid. <laughs> you end up with courage and grace. <laughs> it's true. Oh, the whole God. middle section, I go, wow, this is kind of like Apashinata, isn't it? <laughs> um, whatever. So I'm really <laughs> pleased to know all of you. I am pleased to be able to program your, your music. Brian, write more. Nick, write more. You as well, Mike and Jason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I appreciate both of you so much. Me too. Can (laughs) I tell you something nice? When when the church was 125 years old, we commissioned to write a piece. uh, It ended up being Gaudete, which is a wonderful piece. It was a little hard for my group, but we plowed through and we were so pleased. My church is a surprise. commissioned Jason to write a piece for me for when I'd been there for 45 years. And the result is now in print by Grassy Meadow. It is, um, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. I felt strongly that I wanted a a hymn arrangement. And that was one that Jason hadn't done yet. So I was happy. And that that made it so easy because you told me what you wanted. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I did. And the last one is I wanted to thank all the people who had rung uh, handbells at the church for the last 45, 46, uh, almost 47 years now. So I asked Sandy to write a piece and she said, what do you want? And I said, it's my church group. And uh, I like this one hymn tune and a certain person who shall remain nameless didn't want to do it because it was under copyright. But Sandy wrote Prelude on Abbott's Lee and it's a wonderful arrangement. We're going to premiere that in April. Mm-hmm. And she, it's already uh, uh, agreed upon to publish it by Hope. Brenda Austin said, send it to me. And she did. And it's in the pipes. So I really, oh, and here's the last thing. I said, Sandy, how much do you want? Can I tell the story, Sandy? Yes, you may. <laughs> All right. I said, how much do you want for this commission? She said, $9,000. <laughs> no, I was only seven fifty. dollars was on a discount. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. but she said, she said, in the next two years, I want you to write me another clarion call. That'll be my payment. Mm. So that's the I last gave him two years, guys. Okay. Two years. Yes, I you gave did. This guy You're now. on the clock. Because I knew who I was talking to. <laughs> and I thought, okay. All right. Now, wow. if I give him two years, I, I, I want another teaching piece. So I can use it when I'm teaching um, beginners or advancing beginners. And I'd like something in the along the lines of clarion call. Mm. I told that story to the pastor, and he said, knowing you, you're going to wait for uh, 22 months, and then you'll start thinking about that piece. He will. He will. Oh, yeah, I owe this one to Sandy. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do that to Sandy. It was so generous of her to give me that piece, and she will force me to write something. A little pressure, because it won't be as good as Clarion Call, but maybe... Who knows? There's also another piece, Mike, that you started to write, and I can't say anything more about it on this podcast, but you started to write, and I told you I'd record it when you finished it. So please finish that one so I can record it. Is that the multi-movement thing? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> I'll, I'll, te- I'll text you when we're done recording. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I have so many pieces that I started and never finished, um, but we won't go there. Well, all three of you, this has been wonderful. We're so glad that this worked out, that we could have you on just to reminisce and chat and just really hang out because this will be under our Handbell Hangout uh, series that we're doing Um, because that's all it is. It's just hanging out with with folks we know and just having a great time talking about things we love, which are handbells. I wanted just to kind of put out there, if you want to take a moment to plug anything, whether it's a website, whether it's just a contact information, if you want folks reaching out to you for commissions for three, four or five years from now. Or, uh, or conducting clinician work, um, it'd be great if you just want to take a moment and, and share. You're welcome to. 
Uh, well, my contact information is just my name, Sandra.Ethan at gmail.com. Wonderful. Uh, no commissions, but my contact information for teaching and conducting is easy. Michael Joy at Comcast.net. You just have to remember it's a net. Thank you, Mike. Um, and for me, probably the best way to get in touch with me is either through my website, jasonwkrug.com, or via email at jason at jasonwkrug.com. Perfect. Thank you so much all for coming on, talking a little bit about your composition processes and your backgrounds. As I said, I love all of the music that the three of you write, and the three of you have been good friends just in the handball world in general. And so thank you for being guests, and thank you for all that you contribute to the handball world. Thank, Thank you, you for inviting well. us. You're very welcome. Will we see all three of you at seminar? No. Absolutely. Yes. Two thirds. I, okay. I don't want to cry, but it's the first one I've missed since 2000. We're going to be on a, an Alaskan cruise. I remember And that. we don't get back till the 12th. And I think the seminar ends on the 13th. You'll have a great time. We will miss you. We'll oh, I know. Your, but we'll I... Place a beverage in your honor. You do that. <laughs> and send me a video. Oh, we will. <laughs> I'm sure you will. We'll, we'll play half of a song in your honor. <laughs> you want me to send you an unfinished file? <laughs> this introduction was by Mike Joy. <laughs> but that's it. Sorry, you can edit that out. <laughs> oh, I love all of you. You're some of my favorite people in the whole world. Thank you. Back at ya. Yep. Thank you, everyone. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Good night, Grandpa. Good night, Grandma. <laughs> Good night, John Boy. Marianne. <laughs> Good night, John Boy. <laughs> Are we still recording? Or is I'm that still this? recording. I almost stopped it, but that, no, that's all staying in. This <laughs> is so silly. Thank you so much for Sandy, Mike, and Jason for joining us mm-hmm. today. If you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at twotacoshigh at gmail.com. We are online, our website, twotacoshigh.com. We are Two Tacos High on Facebook, X for now, as who knows, for now, for now, <laughs> and Instagram, all at Two Tacos High. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts for another month or so mm-hmm. before Google Podcasts goes away. And we, of course, want to thank those who make this podcast possible jillian perdas for our logo mike joy for Giovanna Yovanke, mm-hmm. our intro and outro music and genevieve gb hansen for everything else everything else we appreciate you all listening please do follow subscribe like rate comment all of that good stuff it does uh, help spread the word and do literally spread that word to folks in your bell choir uh, especially this this episode this will be a lot of fun i think for folks to get a sense to hear from some of their favorite composers. Again, thank you all so much for listening. I'm Nick Hansen. And I'm Brad Zeman. This has been Two Tacos High, a handbell podcast. Goodbye. So today... first. Oh, I'm not there yet. (laughs) Jeez. I should have taken extra riddling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez.